All across North America, water pollution is greatly impacting communities. Contaminants and pollutants make their way into streams, reservoirs, and watersheds, which affects millions of people and is degrading the environment. Here at Save the Water, we are dedicated to finding solutions to these issues, and those solutions really begin with identifying the pollutants themselves. We can then use this knowledge to help protect our communities and the environment, and that's exactly what we plan to do in this podcast. We have conversations with professionals, policymakers, and those working towards environmental solutions to further understand how they combat water issues and how we can contribute to solving these issues at home. So without further ado, let's dive in and welcome to the Save the Water podcast. Our first guest today is Frank Ramos. He is the president, CEO, and founder of Save the Water. It's nice to be with you today, and thank you for the time you have taken to prepare this podcast. Leading up to the days that Frank would start Save the Water, he was involved in water quality, chemical manufacturing, and water treatment. Some of these opportunities were brought on from jobs, while others were brought on from being in the Army. We learn about Frank's career from the very beginning. I first became aware of water contamination problems in the late 60s when I was working in my first job for a company that manufactured phosphates for laundry detergent ingredients. Did he say phosphates? For some listeners, phosphates in laundry detergent might be something they have never heard about. For others, phosphates in laundry detergent is old news. Phosphates are chemical compounds containing phosphorus. They can be found in rocks, minerals, and plants, and they're also chemically manufactured. Phosphates used to be chemically manufactured for the use in laundry detergents, but scientists like Frank were observing eutrophication happening across the nation. Eutrophication is the excess of nutrients, like phosphates, in a lake or a body of water. This frequently happens due to runoff from the land. Eutrophication causes a dense growth of plant life and a death of animal life from the lack of oxygen. Frank talks about eutrophication here and tells us how he was involved in some of the research to remove phosphates from laundry detergent. At that time, all over the national news, both television and paper, were reports of our rivers and lakes turning green from eutrophication. Large amounts of nutrients were entering our waterways and uh, excessive algae blooms were depleting the oxygen in the water and causing fish kills and a great stench. Uh, the culprits were found to be phosphates, raw sewage, and agricultural runoff. During that work, as part of defending our market share of the detergent ingredient market, the company uh, embarked on a two-year research project uh, to find other non-toxic chemicals that were effective as detergent ingredients. Uh, we found uh, NTA, natrilyl triacetic acid. And that was a target of our research for a comprehensive toxicity study. Our research concluded that NTA was effective as carbonate and not toxic to humans and the environment. 
Well, they fussed and fought for years, and Capulets won the battle. And today, if you look at our laundry detergent containers, they have a toxicity in the surface winning labels. But we're not necessarily when phosphates were used in detergents. Our rivers and lakes have cleared, and the problem of eutrophication is under control mainly from the implementation of additional and more effective sewage treatment plants, some control of the agricultural runoff, and uh, of course the resulting phosphate reduction. After working for many years, at that company, I learned a lot while I worked at that company. I went to the army, moved to Florida, and I landed a job selling industrial and laboratory equipment that by luck included replacement parts for water treatment plants. So the water was following me. I opened my own company to distribute industrial and laboratory equipment to Central and South America. And through the years, I own several companies that uh, manufacture chemical products. And as you know, all of manufacturing has an impact on water contamination. I also had the opportunity to work for a large electroplating company as a director of safety and environment. Electroplating can be a large and dangerous polluter if the control of discharges is not well managed. I work as technical director and consultant for several environmental remediation companies. And I have traveled to many parts of the world to assess environmental disasters and other uh, problems and offer remediation solutions. So chemicals and water contamination have been part of my life since I began to work as an adult. Would you say that there was one particular case study that inspired you to start Save the Water? Well, it was a series of things, and this is how Save the Water got started. Uh, my friend Alan and I, we purchased uh, some advanced water treatment technologies, and we prepared a business plan, and we were working on funding a for-profit company. Uh, the name of the company was Water Pure Corporation. Water Pure would manufacture, mobilize, and operate the water treatment equipment at a customer's location and charge the customer on a per gallon basis of the treated water. We would be a full-service water treatment company. The company requires state-of-the-art laboratory to monitor water quality before and after treatment. And what triggered the formation of the nonprofit Save the Water was when I found out that whales and dolphins had cancer. We decided to transfer the laboratory to the nonprofit Save the Water. And the for profit company would fund the building of the lab and contract the nonprofit for the laboratory work. This would provide working capital for Save the Water and support continued research in water contamination. And as you know today, the technologies are owned by Save the Water. The organization has grown to approximately 85 volunteers, and uh, the organization is strong, gaining strength in science and operations. Frank mentions the series of case studies that inspired him to start Save the Water. And one of those was bioaccumulation of toxins in whales and dolphins, which causes cancer. 
Frank explains more about that next. Toxin bioaccumulation is the ability of chemicals that do not biodegrade easily in the environment to, to accumulate in the food chain. There are thousands of chemicals considered persistent organic pollutants, we call them POPs. These chemicals resist degradation and decomposition, are absorbed by plants and eaten by animals, and many times accumulating the organs of humans and other species high in the food chain. These chemicals are dangerous because as time passes, more and more of the chemicals accumulating the humans and animals and cause disease. Let's recap what we have learned. When toxins build up or accumulate in a food chain, the animals at the top of the food chain are affected severely. Here's what happens. Small amounts of toxic substances, often PCBs, pesticides, or pollution, are released into waterways and absorbed by plants. These plants are eaten by primary consumers in low concentrations. This repeats as secondary consumers eat primary consumers. The toxins remain in the tissues of the animals, and animals at the top of the food chain receive the highest concentration of toxicity as it bioaccumulates. Plants and animals can absorb these chemicals not only through the food chain, but by absorbing it directly from swimming in the contaminated water. Frank discusses his literature research on toxin bioaccumulation. My research into whales and dolphins with cancer uh, was based on literature research on bioaccumulation of toxins in these mammals. I found that polychlorinated biphenyls, PCBs, and known carcinogens and persistent organic pollutants were found to be a thousand times higher in concentration in the fat tissue of these animals than in humans. And the question was, why is this? And of course, they're swimming in it. So I went on to the research and found that uh, PCBs were first synthesized in 1917 and found to be very, very useful chemical. This manufacturer is using rubber, plastics, electrical equipment, lubricants, heat transfer fluids, and many other uses. Its manufacture was banned in the United States in 1979. Okay. PCBs enter the environment in manufacturing and use. And between the years of 1947 and 1977, a PCB manufacturing company dumped between 500,000 pounds and a million 500,000 pounds of this chemical into the Hudson River. Today, although not manufactured in the U.S., it is manufactured all over the world and is imported into our country in large quantities. And PCBs are used in many products that continue to harm humans, animals, and the environment. So the concentration of chemicals observed in animal tissues can be in the thousands. Besides the direct dumping of chemicals, how do chemicals make their way into our water? What are some of the chemicals that are commonly found in drinking water? And why are they harmful? 
when we think of chemicals, we think of drums or bottles in a laboratory or a factory. That's not so. Everything we have is chemicals, including our bodies. And chemicals find their way into drinking water, mostly by direct dumping. And the other source is the human contamination, which will be agricultural runoff, or even our own uh, water treatment plants that are not efficient enough to remove all the contaminants from the water. We obtain our drinking water from three sources, surface water, groundwater, and aquifers. All these sources are easily contaminated by any chemical that is spilled on water on the land. I'm sure that you have noticed that all chemical and manufacturing factories are located by a river or a lake. The reason is that the river or lake offers a cheap source of raw material water and also an easy and economical way to dump unwanted chemical waste. In recent times, we have been concerned about PFAS, perfluoroalkyl substances. You'll see these letters PFAS all over the place. These chemicals are POPs, persistent organic pollutants. They do not biodegrade, and they are also soluble in water. So when they are spilled on the ground, as when applied as an ingredient of firefighting foam, they're washed by rain into the groundwater and transported for many miles into drinking water sources. And these chemicals are dangerous because they bioaccumulate. And they are also considered contaminants of emerging concern. They are carcinogenic, they're endocrine disruptors, DNA disruptors, and mutagens. Say the water's mission is to conduct water research to identify and remove harmful contaminants in water and to promote public awareness about water contamination and its health impact. Our mission is important to the water contamination toxicity problem because it addresses the identification and removal of contaminants as well as the public awareness of the toxicity in water. The solution to stop contamination of drinking water is limiting the discharge of toxic chemicals in the environment and providing efficient and cost-effective removal technologies. Public awareness will demand from product manufacturers safer, sustainable, environmentally safe products that will protect our water sources. Public awareness and education are some of the most effective ways that we can combat water contamination and pollution. After this podcast, listeners can navigate their way to savethewater.org to find out more ways that you can educate yourself. In addition to public awareness and education, Frank tells us more ways that we can get involved in changing the water crisis today. To change the water crisis today requires everyone's participation. All people must be aware that one quart of used motor oil contaminates 10,000 gallons of water and makes it unfit for drinking. If your car leaks oil, you're greatly contributing to the water contamination problem. 
People need to be aware that flushing medication down the toilet is not a good idea because the meds will come back and everybody's drinking water. And the dumping of any chemicals such as plain solvents or household chemicals on the ground or down the drain will contaminate the groundwater in our drinking water. Awareness and concern for our drinking water are necessary to affect change. People and industries must change current practices to include zero discharge to protect this precious resource. So are these new chemicals that are being processed every day or old chemicals that have been grandfathered in? Well, uh, do you know that we have uh, 165 million chemicals registered in the chemical abstracts database and that, that database grows at the rate of 15,000 chemicals every day? Wow. The chemical abstract database, anytime that a scientist synthesizes a chemical in a laboratory, they register with the chemical abstracts database and they get a number. So right now we have 165 million chemicals registered. Frank has worked hard to prevent and research water contamination in the United States and also around the world. I had the opportunity in some ways to be involved with several oil spills, such as the Exxon Valdez, the Gulf War, and the Horizon. Uh, I went to uh, Kuwait during the Gulf War to check out this massive spill. These spills threaten water supplies and the environment for a very long time. They destroy ecosystems and threaten the health of every living thing. Uh, and to augment the problem, the large amount of additional chemicals used to sink the oil to the bottom of the ocean will also be very harmful. That is what happened with the Gulf, uh, with the horizon. They sunk the oil to the bottom. And today, uh, we started to see uh, crabs with three claws and one eye, and we started to see some of the effects of this. In the past, the addition of more chemicals to an oil spill has been considered a solution. But what are some more environmentally friendly solutions in the case of an oil spill? And what are some better solutions for industrial pollution? In the case of an oil spill, the most prudent process would be to pick it up instead of sinking it to the bottom of the ocean. And for industrial pollution, the solution is to prevent water contamination. Hmm. It's the only way is uh, zero discharge, meaning that all water to be discharged in the production of any product must be treated and recycled back to the process. And we have technologies today that could do zero discharge of industry. I have a little case study that, that you as a hydrologist would find interesting. Uh, this is something that I've read. There was this tribe in, uh, in Africa that continually was sick. The people were living 30, 40 years, constantly sick. These people couldn't figure out why. And they were doing open defecation, of course. Uh, so they lived in this area and they moved, they went maybe a couple hundred yards away from the area they lived. And that's what they used for the bathroom. And then 
they went another few hundred yards the other direction, and that's where they got the drinking water. And what they didn't know is the flow of groundwater was from the place of defecation to the drinking water. So they were sick for years, not knowing why, until a hydrologist came by and showed them that they could not go poop upstream from the drinking water. Uh, I believe that more people have cell phones than they have bathrooms. Amazing, isn't it? If you had unlimited resources, <laughs> is there one particular area of research in water quality that you would develop or continue to develop? Uh, one particular water quality study that I want to continue as part of the mission of Save the Water is continuous study of monitoring of contaminants of emerging concern. We're talking about thousands and thousands of chemicals that we do not even test for that are considered contaminants of emerging contents. We call them CECs. By definition, are of concern to humans, animals, and the environment, and have been identified or suspected to be in our environment. These classes of chemicals are toxic, are growing at an alarming rate. So the study of this toxin is imperative to our good health. For my last question, I want to ask, do you have any advice for young professionals and people who are passionate about science and sustainability? <laughs> my advice for young people by passionate about science and the environment is to make sure to choose a career path in the field that they enjoy. If you enjoy what you do, it is easy to learn and it's easy to retain knowledge. And it really doesn't feel like work. I don't feel like I've worked a day in my life because I love the work I do. I always encourage others to know and to get involved, especially in science and, and, and environment, to, to Get involved and know the magnitude of the problem. The problem is quite big. And approach each project if you get the opportunity to work on a project as one more step towards a clean, healthy world. Be excited about what you do and encourage others to be involved in an environmental cause of some kind, especially save the water. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Thank you so much for meeting with me today. Kaylee, thank you so much for your time. Every episode, we will bring you one fact about water, researched and verified by our education team here at Save the Water. Did you know, tardigrades, also called the water bear or moss piglets, are microscopic animals with plump bodies and scrunched up heads. They have eight legs with four to eight claws on each. While they sound pretty cute to me, they are tough. So tough that they can survive in outer space for short periods of time, in oxygenless environments, and under extreme heat or cold. This is because at any given moment, they can dehydrate and go into an almost microscopic hibernation state called cryptobiosis. 
This allows them to live in extreme conditions. They prefer to live in sediment at the bottom of lakes or on wet pieces of moss. I highly suggest researching these critters when you have a chance because they are amazing. In addition to providing one extra fact about water from our education team, we will be picking one question about water submitted by you, the listeners, every month, which we will research and answer in the following episode. Please email us at podcast at savethewater.org for a chance to have your question answered. All of us here at Save the Water would like to thank you for your support and for taking the time to listen. As we continue to navigate through these rough waters, the best thing we can do is stay educated. One of the ways you can do that is by going to our website, savethewater.org, where you can find more information and ways that you can donate or contribute to the organization. Please join us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Save the Water. This podcast is created entirely by volunteers hoping to gain sponsorship for the Save the Water organization. So if you find that this podcast was useful and interesting, kindly donate at savethewater.org or on the Anchor platform where you accessed this podcast. Thank you again. Stay healthy, safe, and take care of each other. See you next time.